This is Channel 253. In this episode of Citizen Tacoma. Every single person on city council, the city manager, the mayor, they've all had an opportunity to to be that transformation that they've been talking about, to to bring accountability, to show that they're committed to justice and that they're committed to change. And nobody has done anything. It's been the same thing. So whether it's, you know, Heal the Heart of the City, whether it's Project Peace, whether it's Transformational City, whether it's Anti-Racist City, nothing has changed. And in some ways, it feels like it has gotten worse. Did you know Channel 253 is member-supported? I'm producer Doug Mackey, and I hope you will show your support by going to channel253.com slash membership and join. Thank you. Welcome back to the next episode of Citizen Tacoma. I am your host, Eric Hanberg, and this is the first of a three-part drop of uh, interviews with uh, the Tacoma mayoral candidates. Today's guest is Jamika Scott, running for mayor, and uh, there's not much more to say except that uh, I am going to release these in the order that I recorded them just so that I can keep straight. Uh, what I said, what they said. So that's the order that they're going to be aired. So let's get to Jamika. I am here uh, for our first interview in the uh, Tacoma mayoral series of podcasts on Citizen Tacoma. My guest is Jamika Scott. Jamika, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Uh, I want to start with just a very broad question. What is your Tacoma story? Uh, well, I was born in Tacoma at St. Joe's. Me ni- too, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> in 1987. So uh, I've lived here for all of my, I just had a birthday. So for all of my 34 years, Happy I've birthday. been, thank you, here in Tacoma. Um, I grew up on the hilltop, um, went to Bryant Elementary, which is now Bryant Montessori. And then I went to Truman, and then I graduated from Stadium High School in 2005. And yeah, I just, you know, I've had... Pretty, I guess, I mean, it feels typical upbringing here in Tacoma, you know, um, working class. I have, uh, my mom was a single parent. I have two brothers and then um, I'm right in the middle of them. And so, yeah, I just, I grew up um, taking care of the community. My mom really instilled this sense of like giving back and volunteerism. So, um, and sometimes being voluntold as well. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, so just kind of, you know, grew up very active in the community, very much in love with the hilltop and the people who live there. Um, And then as I got older and I was able to explore more on my own, just kind of falling in love with Tacoma as a teenager and then as an adult and just really seeing, um, you know, I feel like as a kid, you have a very kind of a um, rose-colored glasses type view of the city you live in because, uh, you know, usually you have people around you who are trying to shelter you from the the scary things. So, uh, so yeah, I just, when I got a little older, I graduated from college, um, I realized that I needed to be reacquainted with the city and I just kind of found, never really planned on going into like, community organizing and things like that, but um, just really kind of fell in love with making sure that the people of the city had a platform to speak from. And uh, I just really love advocating for the city and and trying to help it actualize 
um, into the community we know it to be, know it can be. Yeah. Thank you. And I saw in the voters pamphlet you are on the Grand Cinema Board, which is an organization near and dear to my heart. Yeah, it's a great I am. place. And they're open now, right? They are open. So go in and watch a movie. Go in and get some delicious popcorn. Um, yeah, yeah, I love the Grand. So, yeah. uh, why why are you running for mayor of Tacoma? I'm running because um, I, I know it's probably something that most people would say, but I love Tacoma. Yeah. Um, I we've gone through a lot of growing pains in the last you know, however many years now. Um, And I feel like though there have been some really great things done, there's a, there's a piece of Tacoma that's missing, missing. And that's the like human side of it Mm. in our politics. Um, I feel like there's a lot of people who uh, just feel underrepresented, underserved, left out uh, through the last, you know, five years or so since I've been organizing, um, with the Tacoma Action Collective, I've really been in contact with the city in a really intimate way. And uh, there's just so much that people feel, you know, people aren't necessarily looking for immediate change because everybody understands that change takes a little while. Um, But people are just looking to feel heard and respected and to be treated with dignity. and, um, And, you know, I feel like with the support of the people around me. I don't feel like I'm running by myself. I know it's my name on the ballot, but I just feel like I have the support and I feel like I have the voices of a, of a lot of people behind me and um, I'm ready to help them be heard. Yeah, thank you. What do you think the three biggest issues facing Tacoma are right now? Um, I would say public safety. Um, I think people might hear that and think that I'm talking specifically about policing, but... Um, I'm also talking about just the general well-being of our community. Mm. Um, I don't think that every issue that we're facing can be solved with somebody who has a gun and a badge. And so I think it's important for us to uh, really reimagine what that looks like and find ways to um, meet the community, meet the needs of the community in a way that is productive and and helpful. Um, Along with that, I also think affordable housing is an issue. There's just, you know, the population of unhoused people on the, like, on the street has grown. It seems to just keep growing. Um, and I guess, I don't know if it's a separate issue, maybe it ties into that affordability, but having a living wage, I think that that's really important. Um, and then lastly, I would say um, the environment. You know, Washington, Tacoma, we're kind of known for our clean air and our scenery and our our lives that are lived a lot outdoors. And I think that it's time for us to focus on that in a way that is truly about sustainability and longevity. Let's let's dig in on that one then, since that's the one you ended with. (laughs) Um, There's a lot happening at the port right now, and the port kind of fell away from the public eye in the way it was in 2017. But there's still a lot happening there, and there's a lot of questions Um, And a lot of those have to do with sustainability, climate change, fossil fuels. Do you see a role in the city uh, stepping in and regulating that? How do you think about some of those those issues? Yeah. So first I need to say, you know, I'm not um, I'm not like a policy wonk. I'm not somebody who's studied climate change um, at a scientific level. Um, So but I think that this that being said, I think that the city's responsibility is uh, to really be centering the people and the people who are going to be 
most impacted by any type of development that's done on the Tide Flats. I think that, you know, we should be looking to the people of the Puyallup tribe to really be helping us lead this work into what is sustainable for our environment. And with that, um, I think, you know, the communities that are most often impacted are the people who live in the most dense areas. And the people who live in the most dense areas tend to be black and brown. They tend to be immigrants. They tend to be low income. They tend to be people who are already suffering from other ailments and um, pollutants that are being shot into the air and um, the potential hazard that, that comes with these projects. It's going to impact those people the most. And um, so I think that the city definitely has a role to play in that. And I think, you know, I know a lot of the regulations are kind of at the state level and so on. But um, I think that if the city acted as a mediator, if the city acted as a um, advocate for the people rather than an, a business entity who's looking to um, create profit, uh, I think that that's where we can be most impactful is if we are making sure that the people who are going to be most impacted are heard by the companies that are coming in wanting to do this type of development here. Thanks. Uh, you, you mentioned the, the, the tribe, why them in particular? We are on their land, um, you know, and it's they've been there's so many stories now even about, you know, children in these mass graves that are being found at these boarding school sites and it just shows like the brutal and violent history that has not only been um, put upon Native peoples, but it's also um, what we have done when we look at the land, when we look at the rate of climate change and how it's speeding up. Um, we took this space from people who were so in tune with the land and its needs, and they were living off the land and still are trying to live off the land, as we all should be. Um, but we need to do so in a way that allows for us all to be here. And um, and I just think it's important as they are the people who are indigenous to this area that we take their lead. Yeah. Um, let's roll back to uh, one of the other issues he brought up, affordable housing. What do you think, in your opinion, is causing the affordable housing crisis? And what would you like to see done about it? Um, I think a lot of it has to do with... Um, the type of zoning. It's just not allowing for as many units to be built in spaces where people are, are currently trying to, you know, people are just being priced out because people are selling off their houses and they're raising their rent. And I think that there's a big part of that where, you know, these developers who are coming in, who are building these uh, multifamily units, these apartment complexes and so on, there's not enough push, there's not enough incentive, whatever you want to call it, for them to create truly affordable housing. Mm. Um, it's just, there's so much, you know, and it's happening all over the, the sorry, the development of like companies like Amazon. Um, it's bringing people to the area, which is great, but it's bringing people to the area who are used to paying a lot more than we are here. Um, they're being paid enough to pay a lot more than we're, than we're able to pay. And um, and none of that, none of the minimum wage, none of the housing, uh, you know, we have no control for like rent control. We have no ability to like really impact that because of some other laws um, that it's just every all the development that's being done, all the tax breaks, all the incentives, like none of that is impacting the people who are most vulnerable. In fact, it is further um increasing that that chasm that's already there. It's making it 
so much harder for people. Like there's, I think a lot of people think that people who are unhoused are, you know, they're all drug addicts or they're all mentally ill. Um, and even if that is the case, those people still deserve to be in homes. But it's also people who are working full-time jobs and just cannot afford to to pay the rent because there is no – nobody's capping it. People can um, – you know, your rent can go up so much so quickly, and it doesn't allow for anyone to keep, keep up with it. So, um, yeah, I just think that there's – there's just a lot of development being done. There's a lot of people moving into town, and it's just not leaving space. We're not giving ourselves enough space and time to really take care of the people who are the most vulnerable. These two issues are related, affordable housing for just, um, you know, someone who is trying to buy a house, let's say, and then or, you know, pay the rent and then also obviously homelessness. Any thoughts on what to do about that right now or how you would approach something like that? Um, I mean, I think that, again, I'm not I'm not the expert, so I never want to come off as knowing all the answers uh, because I don't. And. I would be looking more towards having people who do understand this problem, having people who have a background in housing and affordability and market rates and seeing what we can do to make it better for people who are slipping through the cracks. But, I, you know, I think it's important for us to be looking at um, raising the minimum wage. And then on top of that, I think it's important for us to be looking at these sites where, you know, we have encampments, where we have people that are, you know, kind of congregating when as you know, they're trying to find a kind of a micro community because it's safer to be in a group than it is to kind of be out there on your own. But um, finding some way to allow them to live with dignity since we're not getting them in, into houses. Uh, and I get it. We're not going to be able to do that overnight. But finding some way to make sure, you know, we should be putting showers out there. We should be putting garbage cans out there and having pe- and pickup. We should be... Um, you know, bringing community services to those encampments and making sure that the people there, um, you know, are receiving the help that they need. Uh, There's such, you know, if you're struggling to pay rent, if you're struggling to put money in the gas tank, if you're struggling to buy food, you know, it's going to be hard for you to make it across town to an appointment. Um, It's going to be hard for you to Um, show up on time to a job interview if that's what you're doing. So finding some way to just really break down that barrier of like getting people connected to the the services they need and having them be in a safe space until the time we can make truly affordable housing a reality and start really getting people into homes at a much quicker rate. Yeah, thank you. Uh, one of the other things, obviously, that I think Tacoma is facing right now would be, um, you know, the folks are having trouble finding jobs. In some cases, that's because the restaurant that they used to work at is is closed. Do you have any thoughts on helping get people back to work, get businesses moving again after as we come out of this economy, out of this pandemic? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think that we need to support. We have a pretty booming, like, creative economy in Tacoma. Tacoma's always been a pretty creative place, and it's always been kind of, you know, it's been a a city full of makers. It's been a city full of creatives. And so finding some way um, to really support a creative economy infrastructure, I think, is going to be really important because, you know, that, that includes not just, you know, your visual artists and your filmmakers and your musicians, but that includes people who are 
doing makeup artistry, people who are styling hair, people who are in the culinary arts. Um, and so it, I think finding some way to really support that, whether it be through, um, you know, startup grants, whether it be through incubate, like Spaceworks did a uh, black business incubator program, oh, cool. like more things like that. Um, and just really finding ways to kind of build a safety net for, because there are just so many people who, you know, a lot of these businesses that were shut down, they were, uh, family owned and they were, you know, it wasn't necessarily these big chains like McDonald's is still there and Burger right. King is still there. It's a lot of people who have lived and worked in Tacoma for a really long time uh, who have loved the city and put into the city and there just wasn't anything there to catch them when we all started to fall. So I think, um, you know, coming back around to that and really making it a priority is going to be really impactful in moving forward. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, you also mentioned public safety and policing, but I think this would be a good time to take a quick sponsor break, and sure. then we can just dive into that whole big topic uh, after the break. So stick around. Hello, this is Eric Hanberg, host of the Channel 253 podcast, Citizen Tacoma. It's no secret that Tacoma's real estate market is off the charts right now. And whenever I have a question about what's happening, I take them to everyone's favorite pod auntie, Marguerite Martin. I trust her for so many reasons, but one of them is that she's not trying to sell me a house. After 16 years helping Tacomans buy homes, she's now a professional real estate matchmaker. That means her entire focus is getting you connected with the best agent for what you need. She helps you find experts because no agent is good at everything. Marguerite knows all the agents and she knows their specialty. Tell her what you're looking for and she'll help you swipe right for your perfect real estate agent. She helps me and my wife find an amazing agent to sell our condo downtown. And when we are ready to buy our next home, we'll turn to her for a match again. Best of all, getting a referral doesn't cost a dime. The agent pays Marguerite a finder's fee if you end up buying or selling. And you can rest easy knowing that you're going to get a great agent who specializes in exactly what you're looking for. To get started, visit movetotacoma.com and hit the contact form. Thank you, Marguerite, for getting Channel 253 up and running and your ongoing support of local media. Thank you to our sponsor and thank you to the members of Channel 253 who support Citizen Tacoma and all of our other podcasts. I really do think about Citizen Tacoma as a public service. We want to hear from elected officials and candidates about what they think about things. And uh, I appreciate that. The support of the members allows us to keep going with that. So if you'd like to join, you can for $4 a month or $40 a year, channel253.com slash membership. Um, back to Jamika Scott, candidate for Tacoma Mayor. Yes. <laughs> Uh, this question was suggested by, uh, actually, speaking of Channel 253, one of our Channel 253 hosts uh, from the What Say You podcast, one of the lovely sisters. Do you consider yourself to be anti-racist? Yeah. I mean, I I mean, I don't know if I need to go <laughs> further in that, but yes, definitely, absolutely. Like, um, it's being anti-racist and, and combating that system it means the difference between me living like a fully actualized life and me being, you know, oppressed along with lots and lots of other people. So, yes. Yeah. Tacoma passed a resolution to try to turn Tacoma into an anti-racist city last summer. That was in the result wake, let's say, of uh, the homicide of Manny Ellis, as well as everything nationally. Um, 
we are in a very difficult spot as a city when it comes to policing and public safety. What are your thoughts about it? How should we get out of this difficult spot? Uh, I think <laughs> um, it's going to, you know, it's going to be a lot of work. Um, there's not going to be one solution. Um, but one of the main things is that people are going to have to drop a lot of their ego. Um, there's so much ego that's tied up in, in equity. Uh, people, you know, are like, hey, you know, that thing you said was racist. And, it's, and it turns into, well, I'm not racist and I didn't mean to say that and I would never. But it's, it doesn't necessarily matter if you meant it that way. It's, that's how you're impacting your community. And another person in your community has said that you're impacting me in a way that feels negative. And I'm asking you not to do that again. And that's it. Just don't do it again. Um, you know, so there's, there's just these various levels of it, you know, that's on an interpersonal level. But then you can, you can put that as well at like an administrative level. Um, I, you know, it, I don't know if it's going to be controversial to say it. I like, I, I'm not sure, but like, I don't, the way that the city council currently and the mayor and the city manager are so afraid to just say, yeah, these officers did something wrong and they don't deserve to keep getting your tax dollars while we figure out exactly what to do about it. Like, I don't think that that should be controversial. And I think if the city really truly wants to be an anti-racist place, they wouldn't be sitting back and thinking, you know, what's going to be good for our bottom line? Is this going to if we admit fault now, is that going to lead us to a lawsuit later? Well, it might. But you know what? If we if we can't get ourselves together, if we can't make sure that the people who are charged with our safety aren't committing more harm, then we deserve to have to pay for that, whether that means in um, some type of interpersonal amends or if that means in money from the city. Maybe then we'll learn our lesson and not allow something to so egregious to happen going forward. Um, I just don't think as as difficult and as complex of an issue that policing and accountability and justice and equity really are like at the end of the day, it's actually not that hard to just be considerate of somebody else. Um, You're talking about the 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 officers or the council when you say that everybody, everybody, everybody. If I was if I hurt somebody in the you know, in my job as I'm working doesn't matter that I didn't mean to hurt them. I should still own up to that, regardless of what the personal cost to me is, because that's the right thing to do. Um, nobody wants to go sit in jail. Nobody wants to pay out millions of dollars. And we need accountability. If you want people to trust you, you have to have some system in place to make sure that there is restoration, that there is, um, you know, like I said, amends made. That, and that can look a lot of different ways. It doesn't always have to be, you know, a lawsuit. It doesn't always have to be a policy change. It just needs to be, if you say that you are going to do something, you should do it. So if, that, if you're saying you're going to protect the city, protect the city. If you're going to serve the city, serve the city. There shouldn't be all of this, well... We don't know exactly the facts. It's on video. We saw those officers kill Manny Ellis. We do know the facts. There have been multiple investigations now. A lot of them have led to the same conclusions um, in the sense that, like, you know, the, the witnesses they've interviewed, 
and the people they've talked to. It's all led to the police messed up. And it's, you can't bring Manny Ellis back, but you can further that family's progress toward healing if you just acknowledge what you did. For so many years, from the inception of this country, there's been so much time spent on denying people's truth. And we can't be an anti-racist city if we continue to deny people's truth. We just can't. You can't tell me that my truth is not truth simply because you didn't mean it that way or simply because you weren't there to see it or simply because you don't live at the intersections where it allows you to be impacted in the same way that I'm impacted or that person's impacted. So I'm not saying that those officers didn't feel fear that night. That might be their truth. What I'm saying is that they took it too far, and now Manny Ellis is dead. There was a cover-up, and nobody has been made to pay for it. Those officers are still getting money from the city. They are still being allowed to roam free. One even moved out of state. So it just... If the city really wanted to be anti-racist, if they really wanted to be transformational their actions would show it. There's a lot of talk, but there's not a lot of action behind it. And so I think that that's, not sure if I've answered the question entirely. I'm not sure um, if that was (laughs) the most mayoral way of saying that, but (laughs) I just, I don't, that's a big part of why I'm even here. It's uh, running, it's just, it costs you nothing to listen to somebody and to do better the next time. It just, it's not, it's not that hard. Thank you. Mm-hmm. You are an, an outside advocate to a system. And if you became the Tacoma mayor, you would go from being an outside advocate to like the very center of the system as far in many ways. <laughs> yes. Um, and when you're there, you know, there's probably compromises and messy things and things half done do you think your strategy would change in terms of how you want to see change happen? How would you view the, the actual, you know, how you take, uh, how, the, how your role changes? So I would say that, like I said, there's no one way to freedom. There's no one way to true equity. There's no one way to being anti-racist necessarily. Um, so I'm not married to one strategy of getting to that goal. That being said, I'm not willing to compromise on anybody's freedom. If your strategy, if your solution, if your suggestion leads to the further um, marginalization of communities that are already on the margins and barely hanging on, then I'm, I don't, it doesn't serve us. So I don't want it. So I, I want to make sure that People understand that I'm, I'm willing to collab- be collaborative. I'm willing to um, reconsider. I'm willing to readjust. I'm willing to rearrange. I'm not willing to negotiate on the autonomy and the value of marginalized lives. Black lives matter. You know, it matters that we're on Puyallup land. 
it matters that we are in a community that has housed immigrants. It matters that we're in a community that has expelled immigrants in a very violent way from the city. Those things matter, and they have to be taken into account as we move forward. So if any solution, um, if something feels like a Band-Aid, I don't have time for it. We don't need a Band-Aid. We actually need true healing. So that's that's where I'm at. If I, If your solution to this issue is truly impactful and helps to move things forward, great. If it has any, if any aspect of it is going to stack, keep us stagnated or move us back, then I have no time for it. Okay. Is there anything in particular about policing or police funding or, you know, public safety in general that you would like to see happen in four years as mayor? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, the police say that they're overworked. You know, they're being faced with things that um, they're not prepared to take care of. Uh, and they shouldn't have to become therapists to help somebody who's having a, a mental health crisis on the street. They shouldn't have to become, um, you know, a, a, a social worker to somebody who is experiencing chronic housing instability. So if we can, because I want to be clear, it's not, a lot of people are like, well, who are you going to call? If you defund the police, who are you going to call if somebody breaks into your house? Well, somebody's already broken into my house. The police don't stop that from happening necessarily. They show up, they can respond, they can maybe help me find the person responsible, but they don't stop that. What's actually going to stop property crime or at least lower it, what's actually going to lower violent crime, what's going to lower these instances of, um, you know, people falling into poverty is to give the people the services that they need to put in, put in place protections for people who are the most vulnerable. If you have somebody who is really, really hungry, but they don't make a lot of money and they have kids to feed and rent to pay, there's a good chance that they might end up stealing something. There's a good chance that somebody who is uh, self-medicating with drugs, who's experiencing mental health issues, um, will will steal something to go and buy something, to, you know, go and get something so they can get some money for their next fix to continue to self-medicate. If we can help that person address whatever it is that's leading them to lean on their addiction, then we can not only help with their addiction, we can help get them stabilized, but that's one less person who feels like they who feels like they're going without who need to go and steal or harm to get a need of theirs met. Most people aren't committing crimes because they're hateful. People are committing crimes because they are going without, because they are struggling, because they're lost, because there's nowhere for them to turn. So if we can take funds from somewhere else in the budget, whether that be the police budget or somewhere else, whether that comes from taxing all these businesses who want to come into the community and do all this development, wherever that money comes from, it should be a priority that it goes to the people. It shouldn't just be, um, you know, given to the police department. It shouldn't just be uh, sat in a fund that's allowed to grow for a rainy day. It should be immediately put into this community to better the community. 
if you know, if we want to see these crime rates go down, if we want to see um, police feel like they're not being overwhelmed and inundated with calls that they can't handle, uh, if we want people to feel like, oh, you know, my front yard used to have this great view and now it's an encampment, you, like then we need to start offering actual solutions to that. But yet we keep taking money from those programs. When I was a kid, you know, there were so many different summer programs that I could be engaged in that were free or they were very, very low cost. And a lot of them, not only were they about teaching us how to navigate the city of Tacoma, but it was also about giving back to the city of Tacoma. So now, you know, I, I've worked with youth. I have nieces and nephews who need things to do over the summer and after school. And the cost for these programs is, is astronomical. You know, there aren't as many things for kids to do in the city anymore. And that's another, you know, there's so many, when I say reimagining public safety, when I mentioned that earlier, it's putting money into those things. It's putting money into getting people mental health um, support. It's putting money into um, getting people housed. It's putting money into youth engagement and finding ways to keep them entertained and enriched and inquisitive. There's so many things that go into public safety and people narrow it down to policing and that's that's not the only part of it. So, you know, if people are waiting for me to say defund the police, yeah, <laughs> I think we should defund the police just a bit um, because I think that that money could be going toward a bigger umbrella of public safety services and the police can be one part of that. They don't have to be every part of that and they shouldn't be every part of it because it's it's hurting the community and it's hurting them from what they're saying. You said I think the key part of what you said is the the just a bit uh, that that I zeroed in on there. So not not zero is what you're what you're saying, but there is that is that accurate? You know, like I said, it's yeah, that's accurate. I I think you know I don't have all the the studies in front of me. I don't that's I don't think that it I don't think that we can go from having all the police today to having zero police tomorrow because it just wouldn't be. That would flip the city on its head. People wouldn't like it for various reasons. Uh, but I don't think that um, I don't think that they serve no purpose. I just think that they have too much purpose, too much power in the community, and it and it's become abusive. And so, if we can release them from some of that pressure of having to be everything for every single part of this community, I think it would be, would be better for all of us. So, Thanks. Yeah. Um, this actually ties in, maybe in fact you, you even answered this, but um, I guess the question comes to the budget. Like I've heard budgets described as moral documents. Um, and so I'm curious if, you know, to match the morals of the city, is there anything you would take out of the budget, anything you would put in? Um, I mean, I think that, again, I do think that obviously there's a large portion of the budget that goes to the police. Um, and I think moving some of that around, I, you know, I don't, I don't know all the facets of the budget. I've, I've looked at it before. I don't it's, it's know all the things. <laughs> yeah. So I would say that, you know, if, if we really want to look at, you know, what the city values and, and our morals, I think that. You know, we should start seeing more money going into things like library services. We should see more money going into mental health services, uh, youth engagement programs. We should see more money in uh, the creative economy and and other, you know, creative endeavors that people are taking on. Um, and I think that 
there probably should be some focus on just general community engagement from the city. I don't think I don't think that there is enough, um, you know, city sponsored events that are really allowing people to um, just engage in a way that's authentic rather than um, performative. And as the manager of the budget, do you believe that the city manager is doing an effective job right now? One of the main jobs of the council is to supervise the city manager. Yeah. Um, I, you know, as far as the budget goes. I, it, I wasn't just asking. <laughs> that was more of a segue, if, yeah. if you'll allow um, that. Okay, well... I didn't want to not answer the question, but if it's a – okay. So, you know, I mean, the police are getting a lot of money, so I can't say that the the budget is being managed as best as it could if we're just okay. about the budget. As far as the city goes, I also think that uh, the city manager has been very disappointing. Um, I get that, you know, as the city manager, part of your role is to kind of um, – hear what the council recommends and and hear what other, you know, city um, departments recommend and kind of take that into uh, account. But I think where, where Liz Polly has fallen short is um, just because, you know, you do answer to the council, it doesn't mean that you don't answer to the city. Um, I feel that she's been very closed off. I feel like she hasn't necessarily, like, even if she, you know, we hear at council meetings that they hear the city, that they hear us, that, you know, we're working, we're doing what we can, but it's just, there's been no true engagement from her with with the people of the city in any real way. Um, she's pretty unreachable. She's not very, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um she just hasn't been very inviting to these conversations. It feels as though, you know, I think a lot of people were looking to her to to make a decision when it came to these officers still being paid by TPD currently. And nobody was, you know, it's been a lot of like, well, yeah, I guess I could do it. But, you know, if the police chief doesn't want to do it, then I'm not going to do it. And the police chief is like, well, if the city manager's not doing it, then I'm not going to do it. And the city council is kind of like, you know, well, it's not our job to do it, but we're also not going to call for a vote to remove the person who can do it or to tell her to do it. So there's just been, you know, and I don't necessarily like, yes, I want to, yes, like, the city manager should be singled out, but it's been a collective failure on the on behalf of like the city manager, the city council, um, the police department. There's just like this last year there's been and and not to diminish, you know, the fact that we've gone through a pandemic, not to diminish, you know, um, just all of the other issues that the city has faced. I but we have really been the city has really been looking to our leadership to be to stand with the people to show them that they to show us that they really do hear us and that just has not been conveyed by anybody any statements of support are walked back through inaction um you know any time where you know any statement that's made is kind of um kind of placates it kind of is condescending and it doesn't really you know and that's that part of like there's nobody taking accountability for what's happening there's nobody taking accountability for you know um 
a city that's traumatized right now, a city that has seen all this national coverage of of some really horrible stuff that has happened in the last year or so that had nothing to do with the pandemic at all. Like these problems would have been here whether that pandemic hit last year or not. So it's just been, it's very, it's just been very disappointing to, to just be here over a year after Manny Ellis has been killed to see so many people. It's not an insignificant amount of people in this city who are calling for those officers to, at the very least, not be getting money, not to be getting paid. They could be on administrative leave. You can do your administrative review. But why are you paying them? Especially when, you know, when you see so many people struggling right now and these officers are making six figures and you're telling us that you don't have money to put in the community, but you're paying these people to sit at home. Like... As somebody who's been out and protested, I get told, you know, go get a job, go, go, you know, why are you in the middle of the street and blah, 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 blah. Like, meanwhile, like I've had to work multiple jobs. So many people I know are fighting for the city while working multiple jobs. So many people are homeless while having multiple jobs. And then you have these officers who are making six figures and they're just sitting at home after murdering somebody. It's a slap in the face to everyone. So it's I'm I'm just really disappointed like there you know prior to this last year it was like okay well things aren't great but you know there's there was some hope that people were trying but then you have this it, this thing that pops up and I don't mean to diminish it by calling it a thing you have this this murder that happened and every single person on city council the city manager the mayor they've all had an opportunity to to be that transformation that they've been talking about, to to sh- bring accountability, to show that they're committed to justice and that they're committed to change. And nobody's done anything. It's been the same thing. So whether it's, you know, Heal the Heart of the City, whether it's Project Peace, whether it's Transformational City, whether it's Anti-Racist City, nothing has changed. And in some ways, it feels like it has gotten worse. So... I guess, long story short, I'm disappointed. Thank you. Um, we've talked about the three the three biggest issues that you think are affecting the city right now. Is there something that it doesn't even have to be a big issue, but just something you'd love to see happen in Tacoma? Could hmm. be fun. Yeah. No, I mean, I just, I... Last year, I know that we've been, you know, there's been some stuff happening now that things are kind of opening back up. Um, but I just, I just miss Tacoma, you know, like I miss going out. <laughs> yes. I miss being, you know, I, I guess I didn't realize, or maybe I did realize, but um, I guess I just didn't realize like how much of my seeing people depended upon just the fact that we all show up at the same events and there's always something to do on the weekend. And so I guess I'm just, you know, something I'm looking forward to and what I hope is is around the corner is just more of that. Like I'd love to see the Ethnic Fest and the Taste of Tacoma and, um, you know, Brew 253 and just all those really fun like outdoorsy events that um, people tend to congregate at and you walk by and you can see your neighbors and you can see your high school classmates and you can see your doctor or whatever. But, um, so yeah, I mean, I guess that that's, you know, not necessarily something that the city hasn't been doing or anything like that, but that's something I would just love to see more of, especially now that, um, people are starting to get vaccinated, um, and we're kind of coming out of this cloud of COVID. Yeah, absolutely. Closing pitch. 
Why vote for Jamika Scott in the primary? Because I stand with the people in a way that I don't think we've seen before in the the mayor's office. Um, And that's not to say that prior mayors and the current mayor haven't, um, don't stand with the people. I just think that, you know, I have, like I said before, I have a pretty intimate connection to um, to the city in a way that I don't think has been represented on the council or in the mayor's office. And um, I'm not, you know, I'm not somebody who's been a lifelong poli- politician. And quite honestly, I'm not looking for a career in politics. Um, I'm not somebody who's loyal to, uh, you know, a political alliance because I'm looking to um, move up the ranks of politics, like of I don't even know the words. Like that's how little career politics. Career yeah, politician like is I the just, word. Yeah, I'm not somebody who has trouble um, saying what's on my heart, and uh, I'm also not afraid to admit that there are things I don't know. Um, but I'm committed to collaboration, and I'm committed to equity, and I'm committed to really listening to the people of Tacoma, making myself as accessible as possible and setting the wheels in in motion because we've just been so stagnant for so long. So just getting things going toward um, truly being a transformational place, truly being an anti-racist place and being this city that um, is compassionate and equitable and, you know, that place that we all feel like we love. Thank you. If... uh the people of Tacoma want to reach out and find you on the interwebs. How would they do that? <laughs> uh, well, you can find me on um, Instagram and Facebook and t- uh, Twitter and TikTok. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I am 100% myself on all social media platforms. Uh, like I said, I'm not a career politician. I'm not going to sanitize my personality or who I am. There's so no if, team writing your tweets for you? Nope. <laughs> not not so far. If there are, I'll let you know. It'll come, it won't come from my personal account. We'll okay. create a Jamaica for Mayor account or okay. something, and I'll let you know that it's not me. But um, And I'm, I'm saying this because my my social media handle is oh damn jam. <laughs> so oh, I, I see. You're I need you to know that, it, that it's, not, uh, it's not my mayoral uh, <laughs> account. It is my account. I, I don't have... I'm not looking to separate myself necessarily um, from the Jamaica. I am in favor of the Jamaica who is running for mayor because they are the same person. So um, you find me on the internet, and I will. I'll be there. You can hit me up, whether it's on a tweet thread or it's in my personal messages. I, you know, I'll do what I can to get back to you as fast as I can. And yeah, that's where you can find me. I will put a couple of those in the show notes. <laughs> Jamika, thank you so much for uh, taking the time to sit down for this podcast. I appreciate it. Yeah, of course. It. Thank you for having me. Channel 253 is a member-supported podcast network. I'm producer Doug Mackey, and I'm asking you to become a member and show your support. Go to channel253.com slash membership to join. Thank you. Citizen Tacoma is part of the Channel 253 podcast network. Check out our other shows. Nerd Farmer. Interchangeable White Ladies, We Are Tacoma, Move to Tacoma, Taco Man, Flounder's B-Team, Crossing Division, and What Say You? This is Channel 253.